0: In terms of deer survival uh open relatively open uh winter conditions so that deer can disperse Mm -hmm. over the entire winter range and and we need to get away uh ideally from another winter like this or or 2017 within the next three to four years so i mean this deer herd is capable of recovery and it will recover uh, but we're going to need a lot of help from from uh, winter severity and so um, it's, we've shown that time and time again that winter severity is what governs uh, recovery of the Wyoming range deer herd.
1: Rockcast is powered by Onex Hunt, and for good reason. Onex Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Good morning, Rock Sliders. Robbie Denning here. Back in 2016, I'd drawn a decent mule deer tag. I'd be hunting a multi-state migratory herd of deer that should end up in my hunt unit if the migration and weather were timely. Like a good hunter, I made contacts with biologists in each of the respective states. And like it is during hunting season, I just had to leave a message and wait for a call back. And wouldn't you know it, today's guest was the first to call. He updated me on what to look for in timing the migration and pointers on hunting that deer herd. I thanked him and mentioned that he was the first to call me back and that the tag wasn't even in his state. He laughed and told me to tell that Utah biologist that Wyoming had beat him to the punch and it was time to step up their game. We had a good laugh, and I always remember what a great steward for wildlife and hunters today's guest is. Many of you know him, but some of you don't. Please welcome Wyoming biologist for the Wyoming Range Deer Herd, Gary Rockstar Fralick. Good
0: morning, Gary. Morning, Robbie. Good to be with you. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate it.
1: You bet. You bet, Gary. Um, like I said, a lot of people know you, but a lot of people don't. Why don't you give us a quick rundown of uh, what you do over there and maybe a little bit about your background?
0: Sure. Um, yeah, backgrounds uh, kind of get long in the tooth, as it were. Uh, but I grew up in in uh, Pennsylvania, South Central Pennsylvania. Um, it was a great place to fritter away my youth, chasing white-tailed deer, cottontails, and course, ringneck pheasants. At the time, uh, I left home when I was 19, and uh, ventured off into uh, uh, the Air Force for about four years. Traveled, you know, got the opportunity to travel throughout Europe and the Middle East, and and uh, ended up going to uh, University of Montana, Missoula, for my uh, bachelor's degree in wildlife biology. So that was a that was a keynote um, sort of phase in my life uh, that I'll always cherish and uh one thing led to another uh came to Wyoming in 1986 I worked for the BLM seasonally in Worland Wyoming and uh, one thing led to another and I got hired by the Wyoming Game and Fish Department uh work on a mule deer winter range uh, of all places in the southern end of the Wyoming range who would have thought yeah and uh so I worked on uh, winter ranges with another uh, biologist uh, inventorying winter ranges uh, around Kemmerer, Cokeville. Uh, some a couple of our transects were were near LaBarge. so uh, kind of uh, uh, starting my my career in, in the deer herd that I ultimately ended up uh, with partial management on. And then uh, uh, that job led to a, a more uh, uh, tenure job, or I should say longer job working on North Slope of Uintas on a deer and elk project uh, along the uh, Utah-Wyoming state line. And then uh, that job uh, led to another uh, permanent job. Ultimately, it was in the Cheyenne headquarters office. I, I was promoted to my first biologist district in 1990. That was in Buffalo, I was there three years, and then transferred to my current position uh, here in uh, Thane, Star Valley area uh in 1993 and uh been here ever since about 30 years in fact uh, I just celebrated uh anniversary about a, about a week ago and uh and so uh um, came to the western side of the state and uh, uh enjoying uh, uh, in many ways managing this uh this extraordinary deer herd and other wildlife populations as well
1: Excellent. Well, that's why we wanted to have you on because uh, in in my circle, I kind of treat you as the authority of what's going on over there in the Wyoming range um, as we check the pulse on that deer herd. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I always think of the Wyoming range deer herd as one of our, our greatest deer herds. And, and and I base it on the size of the deer herd. <clears throat> I know we, we, we float between what, 35 and 60,000 deer in that herd. Is that about right? Yeah, I think, you know,
0: it depends on, on uh, you know, the severity of the winter and, and how that winter affects the deer population. But yeah, going back, I think you're pretty close to that. You know, back in the, the late 1980s, early 1990s, we were estimating a population between 55 and and 60,000 deer. And, uh, and more recently, over the last uh, probably 20 years, probably 30 years, actually, since uh, 1993, uh, we've had periods where the population would would increase close to or above 40,000 deer and then a winter would hit Mm. and uh, knock it back down and that's been that's really been the the dynamic of the Wyoming range deer management but uh yeah I think you're right on Robbie I think it is one of the largest deer populations in the Intermountain West certainly in Wyoming uh we've got survey data population estimates uh uh that that confirm that and so it is an extraordinary herd i think and, and a lot of people understand and realize that that's why there's so much demand and, and interest in in the wyoming range and mm-hmm. and to some degree as well uh it's sister herd what i call it sister herd the sublet herd region mm-hmm. h immediately to the east
1: yeah and 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 that you know that's one reason I think of it as one of our best deer herds is it's it's mostly still intact the uh, the the migration corridors are are still there for the most part um, it's a functioning deer herd if you move just into Idaho just across the border there I think there's 40,000 deer in southeast Idaho depending on how many units you throw in the in the hat but it's a completely different deer herd even though it's just a couple miles away um it, it it's pretty fractured i-15 tore up a lot of those migration routes sure. um there's a lot more population centers uh th- throughout that deer herd and and you know it's a good deer herd but it's it's definitely not as wild as the wyoming range uh herd still is and uh you know there's a couple other big deer herds in in the west um, i can think of the the, the peonce basin in in colorado and um, you know, a few others, but you know the Wyoming range is kind of near the top of, of of one of our greatest herds. And so that's why I like to talk to guys like you. And although as a non-resident, I may never get a hunted again if 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 even just a few times, um, it's just always interesting to know what's going on. I think it's a good barometer of uh, deer herd health in the West. And uh, you'd mentioned hard winners. Uh, that's that that herd is well adapted to it. And uh, I know we just went through a butt kicker of a winner and uh, was just wanted to ask you just a, f- a few questions about that as, as we come out of that.. Um, with uh what are we right now june 21st uh longest day of the year right now we should have the bulk of our fawns on the ground now we should be over the top of the bell curve um i don't i I didn't ask you this off off air it's not on the outline but uh how many of our radio collar does made it through that we can actually check on and see how many fawns they have yeah
0: you you raised a good point about uh the effects of the winter what type of winter it was it is certainly extraordinary remarkable sort of a winter. um uh many of us will never see a winter like this again um uh we hope um hope and yeah. uh, and so everything's been delayed the migration's been delayed birth events have been delayed uh, I I still think there are fawns that are hitting the ground uh because of the delay the poor poor physical condition of the does and uh and that dynamic that, that causes them biologically to delay the birth event. So I can't tell you right now um, if, if all the fawns are on the ground from our collard. We don't have many of them left, actually, and uh, of the collar does, that is. So uh, uh, hopefully by, uh, let's see, the 21st, um, yeah, hopefully by another week, uh, um, uh, we'll have a better indication of, of how many of our remaining collar does gave birth. And so uh, we we went into the winter um, with uh, uh, 262 radio-collar deer. And that's, uh, uh, that's in combination between the University of Wyoming research as well as a new program research component that we established within the Game and Fish departments called the focal herd research. And what we did is uh, we took uh, five mule deer herds uh, throughout uh, Wyoming and focused on, uh, determining many things, you know, movements, obviously, and distribution, migratory patterns, but also survival. And so one of those herds, obviously, was in Wyoming range because it's one of the largest and most important deer herds, certainly in Wyoming, maybe even near Mountain West. So we went into, into combining those two projects, 262 deer. Um, we had, I think, 90, uh, 92 fawns radio collar. We lost all of those. Uh, we had right at 43 bucks collared, which is, you know, it's not a great sample, but, you know, it, it's a, a
1: data point. It's one yeah. of the bigger ones out there in the West. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what folks are doing down in Colorado uh with their research work or any other state for that matter uh if they're collaring bucks uh, they may not be they may be I'm, I'm not quite sure but uh so we had right at 43 bucks collared and uh and then I believe uh uh right around uh, I don't have that data in front of me right now but uh 80 some odd does on the air as well and so uh at, at last um at the last summary uh, our biologist to send out uh, who's compiling that data. As I said, we lost all of the fawns. Uh, we, we're looking at uh, about 39% survival of the bucks and about 31% uh, of the doe. So no doubt about it, this one was was extraordinary, it was remarkable, uh, it's effects on the deer herd. And uh, certainly that data point uh, with uh, survival of our collared deer, is a testament to that. Now, another data point that we collect is, as deer managers, is we've been doing a, a change in ratio survey for close to 35 years, I believe. And so, what we do is we compare uh, the po- the change in proportion of fawns to adults from December, when we do our herd composition surveys. Uh, and then in April, of course, this year it was May because everything was so delayed and under snow. And uh this year the change in ratio of fawns to adults was minus ninety-two percent uh in the Wyoming range. Uh back in nineteen, or I'm sorry, back in uh twenty seventeen, we recorded a minus eighty six percent. So these Don't last two,
1: pardon me so we beat it Dad. and for those of those people that are, yeah, that are yeah, just yeah, tuning in good. 2017 was uh, the last yeah, really hard winter extraordinary. On, yeah you on know them. That? yeah
0: yeah I think uh I think that <laughs> you're, you're right it, it's certainly an extraordinary uh winter mortality event and uh and so that's uh that's kind of what we're what we're looking at right now and uh and I think you know some of the hunting seasons and the sentiment of the public um uh, reflect uh, in the hunting seasons that, that we proposed and that the commission approved.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I know that <clears throat> it got beat up there quite a bit earlier this spring, uh, going back and forth. And, uh, I'm just going off a of memory here. Sure. Sounds like for the most part in the Wyoming range, we trimmed off about a week off of the end of the season. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, that's correct, Robbie. And, uh, i think uh i as you know we've been discussing it, it's uh it's an extraordinary and remarkable sort of event that occurred this winter and so you know i think i think you know uh governor gordon you know he held uh, two town hall meetings one in pinedale one in rollins and i think that to me and, and many others obviously that's uh, there's enough interest in mule deer management that the governor of wyoming came to two communities to talk to the public about it and uh so as 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 a result of that and there were many different opinions about uh how the how the game and fish department should go about managing deer subsequent to this winter Uh, but we ultimately decided on and the Commission approved uh shortening the the season by a week and so this year the season will run September 15th through September 30th we also uh, commission also voted to reduce uh, non-resident regional licenses in G uh, those decreased from 400 to 350 and in H I believe from 600 to 400 so uh, the idea uh, has always been with the public you know to try to minimize especially after winter like this minimize uh harvest of of especially bucks and uh and and we believe we've shown that you know by by shaving a few days off you know you can you can send more bucks to the winter ranges, especially you know uh after the effects of a winter like this
1: yeah um so with uh um did, didn't don't you also manage resident hunter numbers cuz there's no cap on resident hunter numbers other than just the small population of Wyoming relatively speaking uh correct
0: yeah and- we yeah, yeah the Wyoming yeah you know, the wyoming and the sublet herds uh are not limited quota uh mule deer hunt areas you know straight limited quota and so uh non-resident i'm sorry residents um uh are, are, have the ability to buy an over-the-county general license and uh and so that you know if you look at hunter numbers you know over the last uh, 30 years you can see that all hunter numbers have declined and of course the non-residents uh bear the brunt of that because of uh, we issue specific licenses to non residents but you know 30 years ago we were issuing 3500 to 3700 licenses i believe in in region g and so you know now we're down to, to 350 so
1: yeah down 90 percent um 90- it, mm-hmm. the other other tool I I became aware of um, that you use to manage resident numbers is antler point restriction. Correct?
0: Yeah, antler point restriction has always been a, a a part of the Wyoming range, Western Wyoming mule deer management scenario. Um, we we believe you know APRs antler point restrictions um, can offer a degree of protection for younger bucks specifically uh yearling yearling bucks and so that's why i, I think you see that 3 point regulation it offers year, younger bucks uh, specifically as i say yearling bucks uh the opportunity to uh to forego that opportunity for harvest uh during that first year of life and so um th- that offers a degree of protection for that age class uh we've noted and i mean i think you've seen some of the the antler morphology data that we've collected over the last 35 years, you know, we've checked and examined uh, uh, over 4,000 buck deer since uh, 1989. And so uh, the vast majority of those deer coming out of the Wyoming range, and those are the and I'm speaking to the Wyoming range uh, geographically. So those would be the three northern areas 143, the East Slope, 144, uh, the Grays River, and then, of course, 145 which is a salt river and the vast majority of those bucks that, that we put our hands on and take that antler measurement are are four point or better uh anyhow because people come to the wyoming range to 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 look for big deer uh very big deer and so uh yearling bucks uh play a minor role in that always have uh in in this country and always will undoubtedly and so but we you know with these aprs we we uh, offer a degree of of protection and and respond to the public as well, because, you know, we want to think and and do believe that the public, you know, their opinions matter. And and as a result, uh, uh, in that regard, uh, that's where we've come in with the the
1: point restrictions uh, for this year. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to stay with them indefinitely. Um, Right. You you, you implement them and and roll them in and roll them out depending on the year if i understand
0: yeah, that be, yeah between all the is you know, a lot of it's predicated on our our buck dough ratios you know we have a, one of the objectives in the wyoming range is to manage for 30 to 45 bucks in the postseason population well you know you've seen some of the data that we've collected over in the labarge winter ranges which is where a major portion of the greys river deer herd spends the winter two years ago in 2021 we had 45 bucks per hundred over in labarge and in in december of 2022 before the winter hit we had 40 bucks per hundred so mm-hmm. you know we anticipate you know at, at some point there's going to be a positive response um, as the steer as herd, you know, in lieu of another bad winter, starts to, starts to increase and recover again. And so the, the buck ratio uh, in proportion of bucks that we count on the winter ranges is a mainstay of the Wyoming range management.
1: Okay, well, well, just reading between the lines there and and some of the reading I've done on on antler point restrictions, and I'm hoping to get Jeff Short on the podcast, too. He's flying antelope surveys, so he hasn't had time. Hopefully, he actually finds some antelope out there. I know they got hit hard this year, too. But on antler point restrictions, just kind of reading between the lines and listening to you, uh, sometimes those are implemented more from a sociological standpoint than a biological. When you're talking about the Wyoming range, I've probably had 10 tags up there in my life. I've never seen anybody shoot a a small buck up there. I mean, maybe I haven't. I'm just not thinking about it. But, you know, I mean, it's most of the guys are, you know, four pointer or better. That's what they're looking for. So, you know, can I surmise that the antler point restrictions aren't making that big of a difference? It's just something that the public wants
0: yeah i think you know i think there's some to me um i view the the social aspect and the man or the biology aspect as intertwined you know you i mean it's really difficult for for deer managers especially in the wyoming range to separate out the two i know people want to do that there's a social component and a biological component and and there's certainly a segment of folks who want to distinguish between those two but but I think to me especially uh they're intertwined and so I think that social component is is pretty important in that regard I think one of the going back to the whole idea of APRs that you know they've always been fraught with with controversy uh anywhere in North America and and so you know all APR are not created equal you know if you look at right. uh, an area like uh, the Southern Wyoming range the areas that Jeff manages you know they're they're low elevation sagebrush dominate for the most part um and heavily eroded compared to the Grays River and the salt range and the Wyoming range and there's greater access and so you know that that sort of component uh of an APR you know is different and and it's reflective in in what you and I are just talking about with uh these northern areas where they are subalpine very remote tough to get into um and you know I I guess anecdotally um in talking to people and, and I'll certainly confirm what you just described that people come here to kill and hunt trophy class bucks you know if you go if you pack into 12 miles into the head of of a bear creek or or one of these tributaries of the great river uh i don't know if i i know anybody who's willing to shoot a yearling buck 12 miles back in and pack it out so people are coming here to hunt these uh trophy class bucks and, and our antler data reflects that and so that's why i describe aprs are not cr- created equal depending on you know what deer herd you're talking about and all these other factors i just described regarding uh,
1: understood to- totally and like like you said a more roaded easier access areas they, they can make more of a difference although they may just bump them up to you know one more age class before they get shot but at least it does add add some age to it correct yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah well i just <clears throat> i like to dig into that a little bit because yeah, you know sure. I, I, I d- different states that i've hunted in you know, I hear that thrown around as like the ultimate management tool, and that doesn't really turn panned out to be that way. It makes people feel better uh, that 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 somebody didn't shoot a two point or a three point, but you know, that's a whole other podcast right there. Is is yeah, when you're sure. when when people are not shooting smaller bucks, we're forcing them to hunt longer for bigger bucks.
0: Yeah, and I think I think you raise a good point there. You know, and and in going back to you know that that whole idea. Of uh, protecting an age class, you know, uh, some of the antler data I've sent to you, and, and undoubtedly some of your your listeners. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, we've got quite quite a sample size. As I said, um, close to four thousand deer where we have antler morphology data. Uh, I'm not quite sure we have that sample with the known age at time of harvest, but you know, back in the the late 1990s, there was a buck harvested in Gray's River that had a 30 inch spread and it's a two-year-old deer so Mm -hmm. um I mean the capacity and the ability of the Wyoming range in these northern areas that are tough to get around in um the the opportunity um is extraordinary to to harvest a a relatively young deer and and, and when I say a young deer I'm talking about a two or three-year-old deer that that'll be uh, a trophy class animal in that 200 inch deer range 200 antler mor- a morphology range or, or greater. So I think uh that's why I describe APRs as as you know not created equal depending on the deer herd in the state you're talking about.
1: Yeah um so so to summarize for this year coming off of the hard winter, uh, everyone is going to get a week less and there are uh the APRs have been implemented throughout the every unit in in the Wyoming range
0: uh yeah the, in fact it, it, even in the sublet I, I think we, and we, sublet. we have 16 maybe 17 areas uh, all in quote unquote the high country of, of the Wyoming range and the sublet that are managed uh uh with the standardized open closure. You, you may remember Robbie that uh back you know this whole hunter crowding issue came to a head in 1997 and uh because we had three i think five different opening dates in western wyoming yes yeah
1: i remember had,
0: yeah the game and fish commission you know had, had heard enough and and so in 1998 hunt they standardized the opening date uh to september 15th so some areas that open the 10th now close open the 15th others areas that open october 1st or september 20th like in gray's river now open the 15th and it was in i think it was in 20 2017 when uh, after that winter where we standardized uh, the closing date as well and so that way that eliminate that whole idea of, of hunters going around to different hunt areas and so uh um that
1: yeah period. i remember there were guys that were hunting three or four opening dates mm-hmm. and it you know that was creating hunter crowding even with the same number of hunters right. no increase in hunters and yet more hunter crowding because because everybody would show up on opening day in, in the next uh, right. fresh unit. Yeah. But I remember thinking, that at least where I was hunting, that was fine, because the hills just cleared out when those other units would open. Sure. Everybody mm-hmm. was over there trying to get a fresh buck, and there was no one yeah. around in the units that were still open. Uh, you know, And again, another another shift we made and, you know, I respect the residents of Wyoming and, and, you know, it's their deer herd. They can manage it how they, they want. Uh, I just like to have the conversations on, uh, on these different practices and do they really make a difference or do they really make us feel better?
0: Yeah, I think um, the, the other, uh, I guess uh, it's not a written objective, but what we try to do is make sure that, um, that deer season closes before, one, the onset of the migration when bucks start start migrating, uh, two, we certainly don't want to run the deer season into or up to the elk, se- this October 15th elk season, because that predispose uh, bucks to harvest. And, and I think, you know, there's that idea of as you described, the you know the the, the social component uh, versus the, the biology of it all, and you know what I just mentioned, that, you know a, a moment ago, in, in 2016 the deer herd was approaching 40,000 deer. Hunter satisfaction was the highest it's ever been um, in, in recent history in the Grays River. Hunter satisfaction uh, with hunters indicating that they had a a very satisfied or satisfied hunter. It's a data point that that we as deer managers use was was approaching eighty percent. I think it was seventy six percent in Gray's River in two thousand and sixteen. Uh, you know what, what's especially interesting about that was also the year when the highest number of hunters hunted the Gray's River in in recent history. So here you have this incredibly high hunter satisfaction, seventy six percent of the hunters in in greys river hunter 144 saying they had a phenomenal deer hunt or a good deer hunt however you want to couch it and but it's also the same year there were the highest number of hunters so i think you know that whole dynamic of of deer numbers where the population at it plays a plays a big role in, in how hunters you know will rate their hunting experience you know and and uh I think unfortunately what the Wyoming range herd has been exposed to uh well going back in recent history 2011 and in 2017 2019 we had a tough winter those deer on the south end uh in Jeff's district uh, suffered a a fairly substantial winter mortality whereas the deer in LaBarge kind of came away uh relatively unscathed and then of course this year is a total reset of the of the population so it's been It's been unfortunate, you know, we had a a spate of five years where we had extremely high overwinter survival for the most part from 2011 to 2016. But uh, that's all changed now over the last four to five years.
1: Yeah, and Jeff brought up an interesting uh, data point. Back in the, uh, right after 17, I was writing some articles and uh, had reached out to to Jeff. He's, and uh, Jeff used to be a biologist here in Idaho. So right. I knew I knew him well. He was right here in my region. So I reached out to him. Like I said, I always try to get a pulse of the Western deer herd by checking on your deer herd because it's such a large deer herd and a, and a big sample size. And he said that they, <clears throat> even though 16, those those deer numbers were in whatever you just quoted forty thousand. He said that we were actually starting to see production slow down, and I think he was taking in you know fawn production. Um, uh, I don't know if age class was part of it or not. Sure. Be- mm-hmm. Because and he said that was a sign that that deer herd was was reaching capacity, and like it's almost always determined determined by is the health of the habitat, and that. That that fifteen, it was either a higher number or production rates were higher, and he says that's what we look at to know when we've reached a carrying capacity of the deer herd. Am I getting that right?
0: Well, I think I think the uh, to look at the the long term uh, doe fawn ratios over the last twenty year uh, yeah, twenty years uh, that we've been looking at them have declined twenty five percent. And so it's been an a, a ongoing and uh, it's been ongoing and long-term of dynamic to see the doe fawn ratios declining, like I say, for the last 20 years. If you look at the doe fawn ratios in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, there were years in the herd unit, for the herd unit, where we were approaching, uh, it was fairly consistent to see 80 plus fawns per 100 does in well, some years, it is approaching 90 fawns per 100 does. Well, those days are long gone. And uh, uh, this downward trend, I can send you uh, those the graphs of those fawn ratios. They're pretty compelling. It's been going on for uh, at least 20 years, 25 years. And so, like on the LaVarge winter ranges, uh, that's where I've noticed uh, and documented that you know 25% reduction in Dauphin, you know the the proportion of funds per dose uh on on, and that's the grave river herd so i think it's it's uh uh in in noting that the proportion of funds has been declining uh during that period as jeff described i think the it's been an ongoing sort of matter
1: Right. And and I, I don't know if it's anecdotally or if it's in the data, but it's also the size of the fawns. We're not hearing about those 90 to 100 pound fawns that, that used to be, I don't know if they were common, but they were out there.
0: Yeah, I think Idaho, you know, th- that year, uh, Idaho biologists did that research, uh, what, 10, 15 years ago in southeastern Idaho. Uh, they documented that if a fawn weighed uh, 100 pounds um, they had a pretty good chance of surviving the winter and uh, you know we initiated uh, the wyoming range research in 2013 and uh, um, it was at that time and we started capturing fawns i believe uh, probably not that year but certainly within the year in de- in december and started weighing those fawns at that time so i think fawn weights uh, has always been a key key component of of whether a, a fawn would survive, have the potential to survive a winter uh in, in certainly western Wyoming and southeastern Idaho and and those are the weights that that uh are pretty important. But then again, you know, it just depends on winter severity as well. You know, we can have light fawns. Light by light fawns I mean, you know, those those fawns that are coming into November that way. You know, 65, 70, 75, 80 pounds and, and still survive the winter. It just depends on winter severity.
1: Right. Yeah. Like winter of 14, 15. I mean, you could you could winter a 60 pound fawn that winter and get sure. good carryover into the next year. But uh, back back to this decline in production, this this Fondeau ratio. Uh what have, have have we put our thumb on what is causing that? Because that's not hunting season directly. Yeah. Correct. That's yeah. Causing that. We're not, hunt- we're not hunting does and fawns on any big scale here. Um, and so when we're seeing, you know, a 25% decrease in, 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 fa- I'm assuming that's fawn recruitment from birth to six months of age. Is that right that- Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. If we're seeing a 25% decrease in that boy, if we fixed that, there's your 60,000 deer right there.
0: Yeah. I, I'm not sure, uh, you know, that that's going to be, a long haul sort of thing, because that's a lot of that's habitat related. You know, you look at the winter ranges I and mean, I'll go right to the habitat component of it all, you know, and and, uh, you know, you look at the the winter ranges around the barge, uh, which is where I spend a lot of my time in the winter and some of the browse communities there. And uh, uh, a lot of the true mountain mahogany plants are are really in dire shape. You know, you have a series of years of drought. And that affects production undoubtedly and you know if, if a deer needs anywhere from two to four pounds of dry weight forage per day and you're only growing leaders on the true mount mahogany and presumably some of the sagebrush you know that amounts to you know two inches mm-hmm. uh current annual leader growth i mean that that plays a big role in in how much forage is available that's why Uh, We think it's important, know, it's important that on these light winters, they're able to to disperse out and not concentrate like uh, they do in these bad winters. And so when they when they are able to disperse out, they're able to use much more of the habitat, even though production may be a lot lower than it was, you know, 20, 25 years ago. You throw in the effects of drought and you've got, you know, uh, the perfect storm uh, on these tough winters, you know, other factors that we've identified with the university research and, and, you know, I think deer manager kind of had a a good idea of all along. And I can send you this well-documented with the research, you know, we've documented predation, we've documented highway mortality, certainly winter severity. Um, You look at the the change in ratio graph I referenced earlier, and you look at, you know, the number of years that, that we've lost thirty percent or more of the fawns to winter mortality—that's substantial, you know. In the Wyoming range, mm-hmm. uh, we've got disease. You know, 2015 adenovirus mm-hmm. uh, played a big role in the the annual population dynamic of the Wyoming range herd. I was picking up robust fawns over here in Star Valley in October. You walk up to them uh, in and around Thane Star Valley Ranch, and they'd be laying dead. Mm-hmm. no visible signs of trauma and sent them to the lab and, and they necropsied him their lungs were, were full of blood and, mm-hmm. and uh, fluid. And so uh, adenovirus is, is a disease that, that played a, a major role in, in certainly deer management, deer ecology
1: in that year. Um, that was but, in 2015 when we were that, kind of approaching a modern day peak in that herd.
0: Yeah, exactly. 2015, 2016 were some of the highest population estimates, uh, uh, in the pot in in the Wyoming range approaching forty thousand deer and you know there's there's uh uh vehicle collisions I said accidents you know I mean uh, I always tell this story uh the of uh, accidents how deer can be prone to accidents too there was a doe that gave gave birth to twins down on the Smith's Fork north of Cokeville and mom decided to to cross the Smith's Fork at high water and drown both of her fawns, yeah. and so um unfortunate things like that uh, all play a, a role in, in, in deer management, especially in Western Wyoming. And, uh, you know, there's a solid five to six different factors that have been documented uh, with the research that play a role in, in, uh, in killing newborn fawns.
1: Right. But, but a lot of that stuff has been occurring for eons, maybe not the cars, but you know, the, 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 yeah. the, the fawns drowning and, you know, the habitat and things like that. Um, I'm always trying to look for, you know, what can we actually do about things and the the habitat you mentioned, you know, aging, uh, browse on the LaBar's winter range is, uh, aging or drought stricken or both. Uh, is there anything we can even do about that? Are we just waiting on God here to send us better weather? I mean, is do we is it lack of is it fire suppression is it you know what what is it that's causing that lack of 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 leader production on those critical plants that mule deer need
0: yeah especially on the barge i think you know i can speak knowledgeably about that area i've seen the same things going on you know down and from cokeville evanston um but i think the the idea that these winter ranges have been historic and so you know mule deer have concentrated on them for uh hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of years and so uh you throw that component of drought in on into the mix of things and i think the the that affects you know current annual production you know you can't light a fire in the oil patch um mm-hmm. You know, we've done some mowing, and, uh, you know, certainly in the short term, uh, we try to do what we can with with trying to rejuvenate herbaceous plants, uh, recycle some of the older age classes of sagebrush, and, uh, and you know, who knows, 20, 25 years from now, um, doesn't do you and I much good, but but it may, the weather patterns may change and promote and be much more favorable to to current annual leader growth production on, on these winter ranges. And so I think some of the other things that the commission is looking at. Uh, hey,
1: Gary, before you go into that, you better clarify what you mean about you can't start a uh, fire in an oil uh, Okay,
0: yeah. So it, it, anybody who's been on the LaBarge Winter Ranges, the CalPet Area Winter Ranges, knows that it's an oil, active oil and gas field. And so there it's a high density of roads, high density of pipelines, uh, high density of, of, of oil and gas facilities. So, you know, obviously, you know, you just don't want and, and shouldn't uh, light a fire if if that's the method of of trying to rejuvenate shrub production. And so what we've done is, you know, sometimes typically with with mowing, sagebrush mowing, you drag a big lawnmower out over the sagebrush and 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 uh, kill some of the older age class plants. So that's what I meant by oh, that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying uh, that. Sure.
1: On the on the oil field, you know, that was not there 40 years ago. In the in at least in the size that it is now, and I keep hearing different things on it. That some say, oh, that that is what that's a, that's another one of those factors that has affected the deer. Some say substantially, others say not. Uh, wh- what do you say as far as that development <laughs> of that winter range out there?
0: Well, I think you know, the 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 idea that that oil and gas production is a mainstay in Western Wyoming and the the sort of development that occurs uh on these winter ranges is is all plays a role in it you know and and I think the the to discount any sort of disturbance to Mm -hmm. discount uh weather patterns and and human uh, presence on the landscape you know I, I think is is a real and noteworthy situation and so I think the idea that that these these sorts of winter ranges because they're low elevation they're easily accessed by road systems uh, all throughout western Wyoming. You know, it's not just in, in the Calpet and the Barge, you know, it's uh, down over Pinedale, you know, Rock Springs, uh, you know, any of those yeah. places play a bit role in it. And I think, you know, what can mitigate and what does mitigate, you know, the human presence on winter ranges, whether it's road systems or development or subdivisions mm-hmm. or whatever it is, may be, is, is, is is winter mortality. And so minimizing uh, that we've seen over the years, the effect of winter mortality uh, is really what allows herds like the Wyoming range, Western Wyoming, to sustain population growth. We haven't been able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, as I described a moment ago with the, the winners of 17, 19, and now this year. And so we've documented, I mean, it's a testament that that deer are resilient and, and are able to to achieve population, sustain population growth, uh, as we noted from, from 27, from, yeah, from 2011 to 2016, uh, if they're able to disperse over the winter ranges, and, and that winter mortality event is, is certainly minimized, which it was during those five years.
1: Yeah, yeah, and we're just, we're just in a bad streak right now. You just named it. I mean, four hard winters, and uh, yeah. seven years um you know yeah. we always had some hard winners but you know we're just on a bad roll here
0: well you know uh, yeah 25 30 years ago you know uh things were a lot different you know and and uh and they were different and and uh, but um the idea that that these these tough winners you know i mean you're, you're really talking about you know a couple of age classes that are affected you know and you, certainly the 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 fawns of the preceding year and the loss during the winter like 17 2016 fawn crop lost in 2017 the 2022 fawn crop lost in 2023 plus you have the the fetuses uh in utero that you know may or may not be born viable you know i think one of the one of our collar does uh that gave birth the first one to give birth she gave birth to stillborn fawns which really this year this yeah, year right yeah, now yeah and which really isn't surprising to me when as i've said and uh, told you know folks uh in, in looking at deer this year universally they were the in the poorest physical condition that i've ever seen them in 30 years of looking at deer on the Calpet and we
1: OnX Hunt is the number one GPS hunting app in the industry and one reason they're leading is because they're continually providing updates to the OnX Hunt app. Updates like the new OnX in navigation suite. From the time you slide into the seat of your vehicle, viewing OnX Hunt with CarPlay and Android Auto allows you to easily flow from OnX to the road in front of you, ensuring you know exactly where you are and how to get where you're heading. Want directions to a certain point in the OnX Hunt app, but don't want to keep glancing at your phone? Use the Navigate To feature to navigate to your saved waypoints. This is true off-road navigation for hunters. You can now use the OnX Hunt app hands-free and have access to your map markups, public-private boundaries, routing, offline maps, and more. Do it all from the seat of your truck. If you're ready to make the jump, save 20% by using the code ROCKCAST at checkout.
0: And so um, one of the earlier questions you had for me, which I failed to to, to answer, was how many does uh, that we have uh, that had VITS and vaginal implant transmitter. So I think uh, normally we have, uh, we're looking at the, uh, handling in in the range of uh 50 to 65 higher or 70 neonatal fawns and and that are given birth some of those who are opportunistic fawns of course they weren't associated with a collar doe but but coming into this year uh, we only got 20 does that are radio collared where we're going to be able to gather if they're even born viable fawns the radio collar to to document that so so
1: so the 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 vaginal uh uh, implant that what that does is that does that signal to the radio collar to tell you they're 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 having fawns correct yeah that's what that does so that's that's how you're able to tell that okay we need to we we know this doe is 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 put or putting putting babies on the ground and then that's it sounds like just like when you experience a death you, you go to the field and you, you examine it, and see, did those fawns survive? Sounds like these two did not. They were both stillborn.
0: Correct, yeah. And so, yeah, I think, yeah, that that's, you know, and I can't tell you right now um, of the remaining. I know that we've had some some fawns born viable. Uh, I don't have a summary, but when I do get a summary, uh, I'll relay that to you. I think probably after the uh, all the does have been accounted for, uh, we'll ask the uh, graduate students to send out an update so I can share that with you Robbie.
1: So, yeah, that that would be great cuz it it's yeah. pretty much what we would expect after a very hard winter. We're we're going to have some some fawns that don't even make it to birth. Um and uh, we're, we're going to have a smaller deer herd. And <clears throat> this wasn't on the outline, but you and I have talked about it, but briefly. Um, do, you, do you you willing to take a stab at how many deer are left in those two herds this year after this winter, before the fawns hit the ground? I know we you know we've yeah. talked about sixty thousand being a high, forty thousand being a high, thirty thousand recently. Where do you think we're at now?
0: Yeah, I, I, I we don't have the the wherewithal to to estimate uh, the population level uh, over a three-month period um, mm-hmm. because what we did is uh, I can tell you though um coming into the winter uh we were estimating right at 30 30 up to 35,000 deer and then we did a sightability survey the second time that we've done that uh, uh first time was in 2018. uh 2018 we flew the the entire deer herd and counted every deer that we could which was which was a fairly substantially high number of them close to 85 percent is what we felt confident of and then uh that population estimate was at that time right about 30 to thirty-two thousand, i believe
1: coming you know, off of a hard winter of 2017 by a year
0: yeah i mean that okay. was uh, and that is in line with what we were just talking about with 2016 with the population you know, approaching forty thousand deer, and so a year after the bad winter, you know, to to, uh, to estimate thirty thousand deer was 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 substantial, and then we did it again this year in February, and uh, uh, that that sightability survey yielded uh, right in the neighborhood of of 30,000 deer as well. And so, so down
1: another 2000 and that may not have taken in the entire winter loss because you did it in February. We know we lose, you know, the bulk of the deer after oh, that.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're exactly right. Yeah. So a lot of the, you know, that was just when, when the mortality was, was really beginning to, to, uh, to be initiated, you know, in, in early February. And, uh, cause, you know, I was looking at, Dauphin proportions in January and I was I wasn't uh, alarmed at the number of fawns I was still seeing you know on the hoof in January but uh certainly that all changed you know I mean yeah. you may have heard as well as your your listeners that you know the, the the governor's meeting in Pinedale somebody mentioned that the average number of days uh in Pinedale where the temperature dip below zero, uh, average about 31 to 32 days. Well, this year it was well over 60 days of sub-zero temperatures. You know, Big Piney, the daytime highs on many of those days uh, never got above zero. So, I mean, uh, that's always pretty debilitating, honestly. Oh,
1: yeah. Yeah. And we're, we're paying now. So probably pretty safe to say before the fawns are counted in this in uh with this year that uh we're going to be below thirty thousand uh a deer if that's how many if we counted 85 percent of them in february and we hit 30k uh i'll just say it if you want we're 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 going to a new low um
0: yeah i think it's going to be you know i I won't you know offer up a number because i can't do that right now understood um, in in december though i will be able to offer up a number and you know we can we can because we'll have our herd composition surveys we'll have harvest and, and and we can make those calculations and then back back calculate but to to come up with a population estimate and there's no way i'm going to say that it's not going to be bad you know it's right yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's going to be you know remarkable um the effects of this winter in driving these populations lower especially in the Wyoming range but but we'll be able to to backtrack uh do some back calculations uh in probably December or January and and you really give you a really I think a a better idea on on the percentage of the deer herd that we lost from February to uh, May 31st of this year so
1: Gotcha. Well, we'll be looking for those numbers. And, uh, and you know, we talked about the doom and gloom part. and uh, But I always try to remember, and I just had uh, Randy Larson, the BYU prof on a few weeks ago, and, you know, he pointed out that, that hey, I'd, I'd almost rather have a hard winter than long-term drought, because you're killing them then, too. You're just killing them slowly and quietly mm-hmm. compared to the dramatic events that we have now. So if there's any bright spot in all this, Uh, Looking at the drought monitor, it'll be back out in the morning, Uh, comes out on Thursdays. Uh, People should look at that. And boy, there's more white on that map right now, Gary, than I have seen in many, many years. And I I hope that's going to pay us back in in what we just lost. Yeah, I think,
0: you know, that, you know, I don't know. I I feel uh, somewhat confident in, in especially this high country, you know, I mean, the Salt Range and the Wyoming range, the zone is, is you know, I think 19 to 21 inches. So it's exceptionally wet. And, and I think, you know, a guy like you and many of your listeners who've been in this high country uh, during the summer uh, and when we've had good moisture regimes, you know, really – takes note of the diversity of plants. And and so I think we're seeing the same moisture regime on the winter ranges. And that's where that's the area that I really worry about. And uh, because the winter ranges, as we've seen time and time again, uh continues to be the bottleneck for for Western Wyoming mule deer population. That's where they go to die. And uh and so this year, uh it's exceptional the the amount of moisture in the form of snow, and now with these spring storms, that's falling on those sagebrush-dominated winter ranges. So I'm hoping that the leader growth is is substantially more than a couple inches. And uh, in, in in addition to that, we knew, you know leader growth is one component of it, but we also need uh, in terms of deer survival, uh, open relatively open uh, Winter conditions so that deer can disperse mm-hmm. over the entire winter range, and, and we need to get away uh, ideally from another winter like this or or 2017 within the next three to four years. So I mean, this deer herd is capable of recovery, and it will recover, uh, but we're going to need a lot of help from from uh, winter severity. And so um, it's we've shown that time and time again that winter severity is what governs uh recovery of the wyoming range deer herd
1: yes well hopefully with uh i can almost hear the bitter brush growing as 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 we sit here so yeah i I, remember in 93 as bad as it was in 93 I, I still remember all our habitat biologists here at Idaho Fishing Game, they they had big smiles. They're like, hey, the deer might be in tough shape, but you should see what's growing out there with this, you know, inch of rain we're getting a week. And, you know, the cooler sure. conditions, yeah. you know, all the I- ideal things compared to, you know, a lot of times in June by now we've hit 90 multiple times. We've barely hit 80. And uh, so yeah, I, I'm always trying to be an optimist. I I I hope that with all this water that we just took on, that uh, we can keep it and not slide back into another drought. I've seen that happen. Boy, ninety four was just as dry as ninety two. You know, we had that really a uh, big water year in between, and we we kind of got through it. We had some carryover, but boy, if we could get into you know not, open winters like what you just said, and 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 making use of this water we just got, and just get decent water the next couple of years, I. I think people could be surprised. I've I've been surprised before at how fast that they can turn around. And as, and as Jeff Short has always pointed out, he says, I always try to remember. I, I don't know if it was exact number he said, but he says, I try to remember every year, 30,000 new deer hit the ground in this area. And so it's like hitting the big reset button. We might not get that many this year, but, yeah. you know, just look into the future. I I, I got to be an optimist or, or I, it's time to hang it up. Yeah.
0: You know, you make a good point. Um, it's uh you know, that when I mentioned earlier about uh um and I don't have an a, an explanation uh for this phenomenon, but uh two years ago when when we observed forty five bucks per hundred does on the barge winter ranges, the doe fawn ratio was the highest it'd been in twenty years over there. It was uh we were approaching eighty fawns per hundred. Like uh, the old days. On the large on the uh, large La winter range, it was it was a uh, seventy eight almost seventy nine fawns per hundred. I hadn't seen fawns like that, you know, like I said, in twenty years on the La large winter ranges. So, you know, the, these sort of uh, those sort of things that you just described, I mean, can really promote that sort of uh, uh, production and survival fawns. You know, in in along with open winters for sure.
1: Gotcha. Well, wrapping up the whole hunting season changes, Uh, everybody's going to have a week less to hunt um, instead of a a October 6th closure. It's going to be September 30th. Uh, Antler point restrictions have been rolled in. And then finally, I wanted to hit the non-resident numbers. Uh, You'd mentioned them briefly, but I wanted to go into it. Uh, Region G was reduced from 400 to 350. Uh, Region H was uh, reduced from 600 to 400. So what's that? About 250, uh, less non-residents. Shoot me straight, Gary. Is that a biological decision or a sociological decision there? Actually, it's
0: both. Um, if you look at, the in 2017, um, and I did it this year again as well, uh, for, for the Northern tree areas, but in 2017, myself and, and the biologist, uh, for the uh for the sublet herd we we did uh, an analysis of uh, shortening the deer season in in the number of bucks that could be quote unquote saved uh because you know now that we have the harvest survey data set uh, we can we ask hunters when they what time during the hunting season or what day do they kill their harvest their deer, and what we found out is that depending on weather events and, and schedules, you know, and in this whole idea quote of, of hunter crowding that some people are deferring their hunt until later in the season, and so that results in in an uptick in 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 buck harvest, and so um, by shaving off uh, removing a week of season, my analysis this year in the Gray's River showed that based on date of harvest, that um, we could save, quote unquote, save from harvest um, close to, uh, uh, in each of those three hunt areas, anywhere from 35 to 50 buck deer. And so if you prorate that out over 17 hunt areas, that's a substantial savings, uh, as it were, or recruitment of deer, buck deer to the winter ranges, uh, as opposed to uh, a week longer season, October sixth. So there is sure, that. Sure. Bond. So
1: yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on the week on trimming the week off. I was referring more to the cutting 250 non-resident hunters out of you know a few uh, out of basically 17 hunting units right. uh, combined. Is is that a biological decision or sociological decision? Well, I
0: think you know, I, I guess you know, as I said earlier, I think it's it's both. And what I just cited. That idea, and then, of course, the social aspect of it is, is that, you know, here in Wyoming, the resident hunter uh, has been expressing extreme concerns about the effects of the winter. And so, you know, there were a a component of the hunting public that wanted to close deer seasons. Oh, yes. Every year. Every year. And so, (laughs) you know, the the Game and Fish Department and, and the commission responded, the to, to the public desires that's that social component if if uh, if we want to separate out social from biological uh and the response was the decision was you know cutting on resident hunters you know there's there are several ideas uh floating around um, in in Wyoming Western Wyoming right now about uh, uh, resident hunters you know choosing not to hunt uh, buying a tag but not harvesting deer so uh, i think the hunting public's going to step up and and uh make amends or or at least respond accordingly to the effects of this winter on the deer population to be sure there's going to be uh, certainly trophy class bucks taken this year always uh, always will be even in 2017 if you look at the 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 size or the 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 buck quality In the age classes of bucks uh, in the 2017 winter, there certainly we checked fewer of them, but we're still killing, you know, hunters were still taking six and a half and I believe seven and a half year old buck deer. And so undoubtedly, and
1: a few giants. And if my memory serves me right, in 2011, which was a butt kicking winter, it was, I think Rob Wiley's crew killed that buck they named Magnum. I think that was in 2011. Okay, yeah mm-hmm. and uh, d- don't quote me on that, but I rem- it was post hard winter. I remember that. And I remember thinking, wow, you know these these hard winners definitely you know cu- cu- cut back your, your your number of bucks, but the ones that make it through, survival of the fittest i guess we can call it and then they get to experience some of the best habitat conditions that are out there you know post post hard winter you know we just talked about that and so you know i'll I'll call it right now someone someone will shoot another magnum in the in the next year or two in the wyoming range and and it'll be one of those bucks that made it through and possibly multiples
0: yeah yeah i think uh, you know the the dynamic of of how deer What deer, you know, are able to make it through the winter? You know, I mean, it's it's always interesting to speculate on that whether you know they found some microcosm of a habitat, you know, that allowed them to avoid uh, to some degree the the severe effects of the winter. But uh, you know, it's uh, still deer uh, that are gonna gonna have made it through the winter, and 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 I think that you know repopulate it, it may be a a few years till we get the the summer ranges totally repopulated again. Uh, But it'll happen. And I think the idea of of having open winners will go a long way to that. Yeah,
1: but, yeah. Well, that's what I'm praying for. Yeah. On the non-resident hunters, though, cutting out 250 hunters out of there. The reason I was I'm hammering on this is because uh-huh. of what I said earlier in the podcast. Is sometimes when when things like this happen, uh, you know, emotion rules the day. I'm seeing it in Idaho too. You know, non-resident hunters have never been popular. I remember growing up in the 80s, and you know, my my own family members like, oh, there's a Utah license plate, blah blah. blah. They've ruined the. Hunt you know, I mean, I've been listening to this for decades. And um, you know, and, and Wyoming's really got the megaphone right now on on non-resident hunters and, and trying to limit them. And the reason I asked the question is because 250 less non-resident hunters, that can be made up in in just a slight shift in re- more resident hunters choosing to go. Um, and so it it to me it I'm always wondering, are we just doing things to make ourselves feel better? Or is it gonna make a biological difference? I realize managing mule deer is not all biological. I, I get that. I totally get that. But you know, when when I when I'm starting to limit hunter participation, you know, people's hopes and dreams and and we're gonna talk about this in just a second before we wrap up, hunter recruitment. Um yeah, I just always kind of stand back and go, is that the best approach to do this? You know, especially if it's not going to make a difference. And 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 I don't know if you're in a position to say it's going to. I don't think we even know. But 250 less hunters in that big of a hunt area, that's a drop in the bucket. But I know it made some non-residents feel better to, you know, stick it to the, stick it, or excuse me, the residents to stick it to the non-residents. And, and uh, you know, now we're down to, you know, gosh, what, a, a thousand tags, uh, excuse me. 850 tags in G and H. Gosh, I remember when that was, you know, substantially higher just even in the, in the, in the last 10 years, you know, that, that was probably over, over 1,000, 1200, something like that. I mean, we're, we're getting down to where we almost cut them in half and this is all, this is what I'll, I'll leave this at. And if you want to comment on it, you can, I don't think it's going to make a big difference. It's just going to make people feel better on the license plate they see at the trailhead. Yeah. I don't know,
0: you know, if, uh, um I guess my one of my responses would be that doesn't mean just because they're they were reduced this year it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to stay at 350 and 400. I mean if the deer population uh exhibits that recovery that we're we're hoping that it does here in the coming years I mean that doesn't mean that we won't increase with a biological justification. I'm
1: glad you bring that up, but have you ever increased them on the non-resident side after you've decreased them? My memory says, no, I could be wrong, but it's always that there's always a cut. And then when the deer herd recovers, I never see those licenses come back.
0: Well, you know, one of the things that, that I guess uh, I use um, is hunter satisfaction. And so, I mean, that plays a big role in, in how it, myself, how I feel uh, and manage deer populations, you know, based on, on that survey on uh, on how hunters feel about it. And, and if resident hunters uh, feel that hunter numbers are about right or too many mm-hmm. or too low or whatever it is, um, the tools that we have are reducing non-resident hunters. And uh, we've seen in the subut herd, for example, I'm not sure it. it the same phenomenon can be applied to the wyoming range but in region region h i think it's fair to say that resident hunters uh what we call self-regulate uh we've seen that in the past in in the region h hunters i think uh in region g it's a little bit more murky whether that happens or not but you know this is extraordinary year and and i mm-hmm. think the commission um support at the department in the license reduction and I think that the license reduction I mean, for you know depending on how folks think about it I think is is reflective of public sentiment and yes. uh, I mean I, I guess that's all I can say about it I mean and and we you know being a public agency and you know the, the resident hunters uh play a major role in in how the Game and Fish Department views uh public sentiment and uh that was one way that that we could respond to that by reducing non-resident regional licenses and and uh you know for better for worse depending like I say you're a non-resident and many others as well that I've talked to uh, I've got some concerns about that and and I you know I appreciate that and but on the other hand um, the Game and Fish Department in Wyoming has to be responsive, should be responsive to public sentiment, and uh, and that's one of the ways that that the department and the commission responds that way.
1: Yep, and I don't discount that. Those that's the Wyoming residents' um, uh, yeah. resource, and uh, and I respect it. I just like to ask the questions of: Is it really going to make a difference? Is it going to bring more help than harm? And I think on an extraordinary year, if there was a year to try it let's give it a shot. But I've watched those non-resident tags, even outside of extraordinary years like this, continue to get lower and lower and lower over the last five or 10 years. And I just wonder, do we do we just make a deal and say, we're gonna have one non-resident hunter in the whole Wyoming range, and that's gonna make everybody feel better. Is that where we're headed? You know, Can we get one? Can we sure. get one yeah. non-resident hunter? And, and 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 or does it need to be zero and if it does i still don't think it's going to make a big difference totally my opinion again i, re- I respect uh, uh wyoming's decision to do this and um uh but we'll talk in a couple of years and if the deer herd recovers and maybe some of these licenses come back maybe we have struck a balance so the last thing i wanted to, to hit on is is related to that and uh you know there's 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 hunters out there um, they're they're typically residents of their own state and I see it here um that think oh there's enough hunters in fact sh- in fact we need less hunters they watched the data come out over the last 30 years that you know hunters are aging there's going to be less hunters in the future they were really excited about that because you know everybody wants to be the only one out there hunting and have everybody else support them but not actually show up and um well that hasn't Totally panned out in the West because may, may, I know hunter numbers are down. I'm looking at these these graphs that you sent me. And in in, uh, in 1991, uh, in the sublet herd, we hosted uh, about 12,000 hunters, 11,500, somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, now we're down, you know, I, I believe under 10 if, uh, let's see, what is that here? Uh, excuse me. Uh, total hunters 2019 was uh, 4,000, so well under 10. Um, but, but hunters still feel like there's more pressure. Uh, I realized there has been a culture shift in hunting there, you know, hardcore hunters, you know, more vacation time, ability to travel, things like that. Um, and so when you take a, 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 a an area known for trophy mule deer, like the, the Wyoming range or the sublet herd, and, uh, you know, people, people are going to put their time in, um, but, but to continue to p- push for less and less hunters and, and, you know, I'm, just telling you what we hear, what we hear on Rockslide. We need less hunters. It doesn't matter how many hunters we have. We're never going to be a majority of the population. Uh, We never have been, probably since the mid-1800s. We're never going to be a majority of it, so let's just push for less. We're not worried about recruitment. Um, So my question to you is, how important is hunter recruitment to the future of the, the Wyoming range and the sublet
0: herds. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, I guess in in the bigger picture, uh, myself and many others, you know, in in the management, uh, state agency and federal agency, and you know, anybody who's in the conservation sort of uh, environment or a position, you know, to use hunters as the the mainstay. You know, it's hundred dollars uh, that fund a lot of the the management programs uh highway overpasses underpasses research uh, goes on and on it's hundred dollars that do that i i think um i view it not so much in in 100 numbers in the context of a wyoming range or sublet herb i view it in the context of of game management and especially with big game management in wyoming and and so i think that uh, that retention and recruitment of hunters to is important to the whole dynamic of the of the, of the sport and, and the ability for wildlife agencies to manage their wildlife you know with with hunters and so I you know I think myself and many others would would in the general consensus of things uh really really have, have misgivings about uh, a further decline in in hunter numbers now uh, specific to the Wyoming range and the sublet herds, you know, where we've been hearing the the call and the drumbeat for resident regions, a limited quota, choose your weapon, a whole litany of mm-hmm. different management approaches. That's yet to be decided. I think the, the idea, I mean, one of the things that I wonder about uh, in question is, you know, how, you know, when, is there a point where the hunting public will ever be happy about hunter numbers you know and in the point I'll, I'll give you a good example Rob I mean I'd really like you and your listeners to think about this from from a, a management standpoint so I was having a discussion with a hunter a couple hunting scenes ago who was a real proponent for for limited quota in the Wyoming range and so you know he, he, same sort of argument you just you just described you know there are just too many hunters up there you know and and it just uh, you know i basically want to be up there and not see any other hunters and so i i kind of lit into the the management aspect of this and i told them that we're already sending anywhere from 70 to 75 percent depending on the year of all the antler deer maybe not in this year now of course as, right, as i yeah. said it's extraordinary but we're sending 70 to 75 percent, maybe even a little bit higher depending on the year of all antler deer in the wyoming range to the winter ranges so now to go limit a quota you're asking me basically whether he, he knew he was asking me or not he, he was wanting me to send 80 to 90 percent perhaps just as a, a number to throw out of all antler deer uh to the winter ranges and so the point being and it's a very simplistic point is so we send 80 to 90 percent of all antler deer in the wyoming range to the winter ranges now you have that element of competition you have the potential packing more animals under the winter ranges the potential for you know and i'm just throwing scenarios out um uh, for infectious disease transmission you have bucks competing with pregnant does and so obviously that could uh, have a uh, direct result on productivity of the deer herd and uh and the fact of the matter is you know coming full circle is if if a guy like you and me goes at the top of the grayback gets to the top of the grayback ridge and looks down the ridge and sees another hunter even if there's five hunters for example and that's an extreme example on the mountain he's still going to be dissatisfied so I mean this whole idea to me and I'm speaking only for myself um, is is pretty fraught with unknowns uh, especially that whole idea of can the hunting public uh, ever be happy with some sort of uh, a change in the management program, and especially this whole notion of, of quote-unquote hunter crowding. And uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, there's, you know, that that's the biological assessment I just gave you on the way I think about it, you know, with, uh, with re- maintaining the buck quality. I mean, presumably, you throw more animals on the winter ranges, put more animals there because you've gone limited quota, you're reducing harvest. We haven't hunted a doe deer. A reproductive age deer on a general license uh in 30 years in the greys river the commission just voted to not allow youth hunters to take an antler steer this year for the first time since they've instituted that that rule and so now all youth hunters have to take an antler deer and uh and and so what, what are the ramifications uh, for something like that i guess from from the management side of things and uh, and i get the idea that there are people out there you know who want to climb to the wyoming range uh, and, and be the only person up there and not see another hunter but uh, um th- that doesn't help us as deer managers manage the wyoming range deer herd in fact uh, uh that scenario i just laid out um creates uh, creates dire situations potentially over time when you throw more deer already um, it, so then you're increasing the number of deer on the winter ranges you know and in, in, uh, potentially uh, exceeding the population objective and the potential for catastrophic crashes again uh, even maybe a lighter winter or occur so i i don't know it's it's a conundrum to me it's something that i thought about for many, many years, and and how to satisfy the hunting public who who really wants that whole idea of being uh, relatively free on the mountain uh, of other hunters. So. I don't know. Right,
1: exactly. That's why I'm I'm cautious about going down that path of just you know reduce licenses, reduce licenses, reduce licenses, because pretty soon um, it is going to affect recruitment. I've I, I've I've seen it in the generation that's just undermined. A lot of them don't care about hunting. Yet, and many of these hunters are happy, like good. I don't want them to, but that does to me. That's a huge gamble to take to ensure the uh, the the sustainability of the North American uh, big game management model that has. Been massively success, uh, successful. And I don't want to leave that in the hands of, of, of less hunters. Um, I think we got to maintain hunter, hunter numbers. I could be wrong. That's why I want to bring this up. These guys could be right. You know, they they point out to, you know, like New Zealand, such a small percentage of hunters there. And yet they they've been able to maintain hunting. But man, that's a that's a half a world away. And you yeah. know, Americans tend to vote with the ballot box. And once people start to come after hunting, um, uh, and 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 there's no longer public support for it, I'm not talking about the the hunters, I'm talking about the non-hunters, the ones who ultimately decide what we get to do with the resource. Um, when they decide to come after hunting, I'm gonna lay my bet on strong hunter numbers good recruitment uh, a good support uh, for hunting through our license dollars and, and all the other excise taxes that come through all of that um, you know the, the the economies that we boost, uh, all those things that come from hunting. I don't dare go lower. I think because it's it you can't turn around if you go too far. That's what I'm worried about. And mm-hmm. you know we're, we're I'm going to have Mike Duplan on the podcast in a few weeks. He's a Colorado resident with a a, a really good feel for what's going on with their commission there. And uh, it's it's uh, less influenced by hunters than it used to be. Put put it that way. Oh, and yeah. that, to yeah. me, that's scary. That's scary. So Gary, I I you. You said it it's a it's a conundrum um i don't have the answers either i don't I, I don't at all but i want i wanted to hear uh your input on that and it sounds sounds to me like uh you you still rank hunter recruitment for the for the future uh viability of the of the wyoming big game not just deer that yeah we got to have hunter recruitment we got to have people coming up through the ranks uh and paying license dollars is that fair to summarize that
0: well, I, I think you know. You're. I mean, that's what I was getting at. You know, and what I failed to mention was, you know, we we often talk about and you cited it so correctly so about the North American uh, model. And I think that uh, you know, you look at the, the the conservation dollars that hunters have have contributed to the conservation of species and habitats, and extraordinary. And so, you know, I I think you know we would be we would be at fault to you know to to try to um overall uh, restrict or or have any uh effect on hunter numbers that would be detrimental to the conservation of those species by lowering or not promoting hunter recruitment it's just it's so important to to wildlife agencies and especially wyoming that uh, in being such a small state too and you know i mean lincoln county uh here where i live is one of the fastest growing counties in the state of wyoming lincoln county and especially star valley and Mm -hmm. uh it's just extraordinary. And so I think, uh, I don't know how many of those people are hunters, but, but we really need to to make sure that, that we can do every level thing we can to, to bring young hunters into the fold, uh, young people and, uh, uh, make them at, active, uh, participants and contributors to the conservation of, of wildlife populations and the habitats they depend on.
1: Yep, I'm I'm with you. And with Wyoming, you know, like you said, limiting the first time in 30 years the youth hunter from being able to take does, and this is an extraordinary year. If there's a year to do it, I'm with it. I mean, I get it, I get it. But again, will that opportunity ever come back? Because we just got a few years for those little guys and gals to get interested in this. You know, they hit 15, 16, 17. They haven't got to hunt. They haven't got to harvest. We may lose them. We'll, we'll just lose them to their screens. And you know, that's that's what they're going to go do. But you know, they uh, antlerless hardy, uh harvest when it when it. Can be biologically supported. That helps with hunter recruitment. Man, I remember getting my first doe, and that was a big deal. I still remember it. That was a big deal in in in, in keeping me going as a hunter. Um, and uh, so, anyways, not not to totally go down that rabbit hole, but you know, I always like to ask people in your position mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. hunter recruitment, and I, I I always get the same answer that yeah, yeah, we got to have it. Um, So um, I'm going to wrap this up now, Gary. I know we've pushed you on the time limit here. I'm going to wrap this up by saying I've had two tags in the Wyoming range in the last what, four years, uh, 2019 and 2022. Let me tell you how many hunters I saw. Uh, Opening day last year, I saw four. I saw, it looked like a dad, maybe an an uncle and two uh, young kids. I saw them opening day. Uh, Never saw them after that. Um, I spent, mm, I can't remember, 11, 12 days in the area over a couple of trips. Never saw another hunter. But backing up to 2019, um, opening day there, there was, I camped at a trailhead. There was probably four horse trailers at the trailhead. It looked really crowded, but then once I got to camp, uh, I don't know, four or five miles in, um, I don't think I saw anyone on the mountain opening day. I did see a guy harvest a buck a couple of days later down a kind of off the backside. Um, I don't think I saw anybody in the deer country. And so it, that's why I'm always saying, how low do we gotta go to get people happy? And yeah, if you're going to Ramshorn Peak between Cliff Creek and Willow Creek, yeah, you're not gonna be happy, but I can tell you that's not how it is through through much of the range. And especially if you avoid opening day, and like Gary said, you know, maybe the last couple of days, cause a lot of guys do go out and hunt. So I'm gonna end it with that. Gary, if you want to dispute it, go ahead, but if not, Thank you for coming on the podcast.
0: Yeah, thank you, Rob. It's always always great to work with you on these things. I hope there's an op- another opportunity uh, after this hunting season, perhaps to to uh, come back and and have a debriefing or a reassessment uh, of how things went this year. But uh, it's always great to chat with you, and and I really do appreciate you um, uh, sending on the information and the data that that we've been able to collect. And I think it does you know uh, you know adds another element uh, of education and information to hunters you know cuz here's the data that that we're relying on and we freely share that data to to hopefully make uh make people like you and and, and your listeners better informed better educated and 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 provide an understanding of, of what it goes into managing the wyoming range deer herd
1: you bet. Keep sending me those emails. You're welcome back on the podcast anytime and uh maybe we'll just set a soft date for December after you guys do your your counts again and uh and uh, maybe you'll come back with some good news.
0: Yeah, I I hope so too, Robin. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Gary.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Rob. It's always great. Thank you.